0: That led to a bigger reflection, which is the idea that that I'd spent like a really long time measuring my success on metrics that were not mine. And what's interesting in the intersection between my work and my personal life is as a digital marketer, a lot of the work that I did was around measurement and teaching clients how to measure the right outcomes with the right metrics. Like if you're putting in market a banner advertising to create awareness, you should measure it only on click-through and sales because that's not the work that that banner is doing. And so the concept of setting up the right metrics and the right baseline as I measure my life and then measure success along those lines really resonated. Welcome, I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In the last episode, I interviewed Randy Wilburn, founder of a firm called Encourage, Build, Grow. That's a leadership training and consulting firm that supports the design, architecture and engineering industry. Randy is also the producer and host of a podcast called I Am Northwest Arkansas. In our conversation, Randy shared his personal journey as entrepreneur, and he also talked about his perspective on how the key traits of a leader evolve as he progressed in his career. Today, you get to hear from Randy in a completely different capacity. From the beginning of the podcast, I wanted to have an episode where a featured guest would interview me. In my mind, the ideal interviewer was somebody who had podcasting experience, but also didn't know me very well, so that our conversation would be fresh and there would be an opportunity for the two of us to surprise each other. That said, it was really important to have some connection with this person, because I wanted to be in a situation, in an environment and space where I could really be my true self and be fully transparent. When Randy and I met at Podcast Movement last August, it was instantly clear to me that he was the perfect person to interview me. And I was right. I had such a great time being interviewed by Randy that our conversation ran a little longer than my normal episodes. So I decided to break it into parts. Today, you will hear my personal story, my definition of authenticity, and what I mean by aligning my values with my definition of success. In the second part, we will cover the topic of leadership and also we will cover the traditional personal questions that i ask all my guests at the end of the podcast and before i turn you over to randy if you're listening to this podcast on apple podcasts or on good pods remember at the end of october i will pick my favorite review in those two platforms and send the author a free copy of deborah Spar's book war mate Married love so if you would like to get the book and you like the podcast, give it a try, write a review. And now enjoy the episode. Randy, I'm turning the mic over to you.
1: All right. All right. Let's get it started. Welcome to a new episode or another episode, I I might add, of authentic leadership for everyday people. But you know what? This is not Dino. This is Randy, Randy Wilberg. And you probably heard me before because Dino interviewed me for this podcast recently. And now we're turning the tables on Dino and we're interviewing him for his own podcast. And this is actually something that we recommend all podcasters to consider doing. But regardless, without further ado, Dino, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, Randy.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. Well, listen, I'm so excited to talk about leadership. It it is one of the things that is so near and dear to my heart because I think so many organizations could benefit from having better leaders. And you're doing your part with this podcast, Authentic leadership for everyday people. This is a podcast that we started back in December of 2020. So, uh, are, we, are we calling this a pandemic podcast or or what?
0: No, actually it is not a pandemic podcast. I have been fascinated with the idea of podcasting for a long time even though initially I was going to do a music podcast. It was going to be a fun thing and I think in the middle of my journey from you know expanding executive coaching into my consulting practice. I started out with this idea, which was that my mission as a coach, as a leadership coach, is to enable people to truly be their authentic self and connecting in to themselves to improve performance. And somebody said, Well, if that's your mission, are you being authentic? <laughs> and it was the kind of question that sort of hit me with a slap in the face. And in the course of that conversation, the phrase authentic leadership for everyday people came up. And that's where the idea of the podcast started. And it's the idea that if I need to be authentic and and really be who I am, I need to follow my instinct and I need to do things that I really love. And, and the idea of podcasting and really putting forward who I am through the guests that I choose and the topic that I deal with. And be very public and transparent about that would be something that I had to do. And so I had started playing with the idea and thinking about the podcast probably two or three months before the pandemic. And then I think the pandemic sort of forced me to have a little extra time and to really refine what I wanted to do with the podcast.
1: Yeah. I keep telling people over and over again, as bad as the pandemic is, it has actually been a blessing for a lot of people in a lot of ways, believe it or not. You know, I mean, I know there's there's been death and despair, and there's still a lot of angst with it. But I've always learned that you need to look at the. There's some silver linings in this pandemic that I think a lot of people are going to experience.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point of view in terms of the fact that you need to find the good in things. I wouldn't call it a blessing because I think that ultimately, even even for people who Are are in lucky situation. I have, you know, I have a house that's large enough for me, my kids and my wife, and we all get along. And so being confined in the space, that alone was a lot. But I think that, you know, it's still really hard. I think that the idea of turning a bad thing that happened to you into a gift, I like to think about it. The idea of finding the good in it while acknowledging that there's a part of it that it's really hard to deal with, and it's okay to have a hard time dealing with the bad part.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm always reminded, and I always remind people that we will have trouble with us all the days of our lives, but life is a roller coaster, so we're definitely going to go up and down, and this has been a significant roller coaster for us all. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to mention as we move into this, to this interview is I thought it was interesting the way that we met. We actually met at a program that we both use called Squadcast. Task we met at a Squadcast breakfast at a program called Podcast Movement. And that was like the first event. I don't know about you, but it was like the first big event that I've been to since the pandemic started. And you know, I was actually wasn't, wasn't sure if I was going to go, but if I didn't, I wouldn't have met you. And that's kind of how we met. And so I'm really appreciative that we were able to make a connection. And, and now, look, here we are you've had me on your podcast and now I'm interviewing you for your podcast. So I think that's really, I think that's really cool. And I love that serendipitous part of life where you just never know what's going to happen at every turn.
0: Yeah. I think one interesting thing that you said in your podcast is the idea that you always have to be open. Right. And so when you go to an event like that, you start out by being really open and, and, and sort of follow the flow where it takes you. And instead of being, you know, oh, I need to go and meet all the important people. It's like, I'm just going to try to have a meaningful conversation with every person that is put next to me, whatever it is. And I think that our conversation really resonated with me. I felt kinships in a number of areas, even though, you know, I'm Italian, you're American.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fine.
0: <laughs> no, no, but it's like no, but it is like the idea that a lot of the time people get hung up on whatever culture or ethnicity or religion you are brought up in, and I think that to me, what is really important is not the detail of that external part, but how you relate to that culture. And I think an example that comes to mind is I was a really huge fan of Philip Roth. As an author when i found Philip Roth, i was amazed at his writing and what really resonated with me is that his books are very much grounded in the jewish experience but if you look at the dynamics that he finds in that experience to me they were very very similar to being raised in a country that has a very strong catholic heritage like the dynamics are the same and i think is when you can relate to those individual dynamics that You make connection. And to me, when we talked about the fact that, you know, your career has a lot of different interests that sometimes don't look like they're the same, but you manage to bring them together. That was a really big point of contact for me because it's similar in some ways to some choices that I've
1: made. Yeah, I love that. And I was very impressed, not just with you, but just with everybody that I was able to encounter. And and you were a big part of that that week, I I actually made a lot of really good connections. And I'm thankful for all of them. But I'm especially thankful for just our chance to come together and even to be asked by you to to do this interview. So I I want to, to be fair to your listeners. And I do want to interview you in the same vein that you interview other people for this podcast. So we want to focus on the, the three key things that are at the core of your program are authenticity, leadership, and vulnerability. So, you know, I like to always ask about your superhero origin story, but I want to find out from you what is authenticity to you? And how did you find your authentic self?
0: Yes. So to me, authenticity, and this is the people who have heard the first early version of the podcast will find this is I go back to the etymology of the word, which is it's a word that comes from Greek and it's a combination of two words, autos and entos, which is the inside self. So a lot of the time, the word authenticity is used in the common language or in here is like to define something that is old or historic or that. And for me, authenticity is having an awareness of who you are, what your values are, and then Making your choices in line with that, even when it's difficult and and it is like really showing up yourself in your choice for who you really are. An art example that I use is i'm a music lover, and people think of authentic music as like you know whether it's folk based music or songwriting and for me when i there are certain artists that are big commercial artists that are not considered authentic, but if you really look at artists that have massive commercial success, even they're not in a genre considered authentic, whether it is, you know, some examples like Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Jay-Z, what you realize is that the music that they put out, the art that they put out, it's really who they are. And that's why they happen to be and love something that a lot of people love because it is really who they are. That's why it connects so deeply, right? And so to me... Taylor Swift is just as authentic as, you know, like John Pride, because she's doing exactly what she wants to do. And when you think about the early years, like why so many 16-year-old girls connected with her? Because she was writing about her experience. Like, what's it like? You know, you are a really good friend with the hot quarterback, and then he's going out, you know, he's really good friends with you, but he's going out with the cute cheerleader. And like people who are teenagers, the majority go through that experience. So when I think about authenticity is being explicit about who I am and bringing that with me everywhere I work. One of my guests, Aliza Cohn, made a really important observation, which is being authentic and being your true self doesn't mean that you're like your full self all the time, right? You need to understand the situations that you're in and there may be things that are not appropriate to bring into that situation, but you bring in the things that are true and appropriate at the same time. So that's my definition of authenticity.
1: So throughout your career, I mean, you and I are kind of probably in the same age range. We, we've hit that midlife space, right? Where we're, where we're fully coming into our own. And you know, I'm, I tell people all the time, I'm 52 and I'm still finding out new things about myself, but could you share some key moments, some aha moments for you where you found your true voice and how that informed your leadership style.
0: Yeah. So a couple, like super quickly, I grew up in Italy. I studied economics. My father was a CEO. Both my grandparents were CEOs. And there was like a big expectation that I would have a career in business. So I came to the U.S. After a couple of years, I I worked for an investment bank. I went to Harvard Business School and I got on this career track. And it was like a whole world of, you know, between the expectations of my parents and then the environments that I was in, which are, you know, environments where you're really trained to relate yourself to your peers in a competitive way. And so I had a first moment where I always loved the arts. And at some point in the late 90s, 98, 99, I left consulting and took a job at Gibson Guitars, which was, I thought. A great job it turned out to be a very painful masterclass in the amount of due diligence that you should do on the ceo of a smaller mid-sized business before you take the job if the ceo is also the owner and it resulted in you know after nine months into the job i had a massive issue with anxiety because my wife had become pregnant and we were in nashville away from everyone that we knew And it was also a time where all my peers, you know, it's 99. It was the boom of the economy. And so, like, I, you know, I even see all my classmates, like, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal because they had just gone public with the company. And the combination of that created this, like, massive personal crisis that resulted in a depression and a really, really hard year for me. And we retreated to Boston. And that's where I started my career in digital marketing. And in you know, all honesty, the early years of that was really like, just taking care of my mental health, like making sure that I was in a job where I wouldn't get overstressed. And I, I did fairly well in digital marketing, but in 2012, I had this realization that I like business, you know, and I'm pretty good at a lot of these things, but that I had let the accumulations of all these skills and the fact that these were skills that were rewarded by the market dictate my choices. And my son was starting high school, and I had not seen a lot of them because I had been, you know, been doing work where like, oh, you know, leave on, mon- on Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., go to Seattle and come back on the red eye on Friday, or, you know, three days a week in Detroit, or two days a week in Philadelphia. And when kids go to high school, they start being independent. And as a parent, that's when you realize you really start feeling the fact that, oh, you know, in four years, they're going to move out of the house. And so there was a moment there when I realized that as much as I love my work, I didn't want to be somebody who was fulfilled only by work. And I wanted to get in a situation where I had a portion of my time that was dedicated to non-traditional work, which was being present for my kids through high school. And then my wife is a singer-songwriter and spending time helping her manage her career, which was also a way for us to prepare to be ready for the time that we're in now when both kids are gone from school. So that led to a bigger reflection, which is the idea that I'd spent like a really long time measuring my success on metrics that were not mine. And what's interesting in the intersection between my work and my personal life is as a, as a digital marketer in the era from 2006 to 2012, which was when all companies were entering to digital, a lot of the work that I did was around measurement and helping teaching clients how to measure the right outcomes with the right metrics. Like if you're putting in market a banner advertising to create awareness, you should not measure it only on click-through and sales because that's not the work that that banner is doing. And so the concept of setting up the right metrics and the right baseline as I measure my life and then measure success along those lines really resonated. And that's where like, okay, I shouldn't be measuring my success for me. You know, this is just for me. I should be measuring my success on the title and the amount of money that I have. But it's like the fact that I have the ability to do this work enables me to create meaningful time with my family and with my other passions. So that's sort of like the coming with the authenticity part, I guess.
1: I like that because I think, you know, it's important for people to walk their own walk, right? I mean, everybody, you know, you could, I mean, you went to Harvard Business School, like you said, I'm sure a lot of your friends. I might add that in 99, there was also a significant downturn. It's called the dot-com bust, which happened uh, at that time. I, was, I, was, uh, I had just left San Francisco a few years before that, so I know some people that uh, t- uh, really had some challenges after that time.
0: The downturn was 2001. Right. It started right at the beginning, right around spring of 2001, and then unfortunately September 11 accelerated it. But yeah, 99 was still the rise up.
1: Yeah, so good things were happening, and you know, Webvan and all that other stuff. For those of you that remember that uh, flash in the pan, but um, you know, it's interesting. I think people are asking the same questions now about where the market is, but that's a that's a whole different story. I think for you, and just in your walk and your journey, figuring out what was success, right, is going to be different for Dino than it's going to be for me. Yeah, and my success is going to be different than somebody else. And I think it's important for you to be able to find that. And, and along those lines of success, how have you learned to measure success differently? If we can kind of continue to go down that road now that you're doing what you're doing. And, and again, you, you have a strong, your CV is strong. Your resume is strong. You have a lot of experience. You come from a family of business builders, but, but how do you now measure success? How do you keep yourself in line with that measure?
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't have an explicit way, like I, I knew it at feel and gut, but I didn't know really how to articulate it. And when I interviewed Rishad for in one of the early episodes, I asked him this question, is like, you know, for me, success is how much of my time is spent doing things that I really want to do? And so, you know, my definition of success is a combination of that because, you know, I want to acknowledge that we all need a certain amount of money or income to support our families to create a safe environment for our kids so i don't want to discount that for me success is the combination of the balance between having that safety having the financial outcomes that make me feel safe and then really having control on the type of work that i do and the type of client that i work with and the other part is keeping learning new things. Like podcasting is a completely new thing for me. I start, you know, you're 52. I'm turning 56. I actually, as of the day that this podcast got published, I will have turned 56 because this podcast is going to be published a day after my birthday. So
1: you're doing good for 56, friend. You're doing good. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So success for me, as I said, is having the control of my time to do the things that I want. I just want to clarify one thing. I don't think there's anything wrong in people measuring their success on how much they earn or the type of career that they have, as long as that's what they really want. I think where we end up into trouble is when somebody set the measure up for us and we chase it. And that's what happened to me.
1: I also think it's fair to remember my only retort to that response is in terms of how you measure success is that nobody ever on their deathbed wishes for more money. We all wish for more time. And I think that's one of the holy grails that we're all searching for is how do we, we maximize our time while we're here to do the things that we're called to do. And I think you're doing that uh, wonderfully with such a great podcast. You're kind of living that dream of being able to do the thing that you really love doing. So I applaud you for that. And I want to encourage you because as you do it, as other people see, and as you go out and share and coach other people from a leadership perspective, they will look at what some of the examples that you set forth and will utilize that as they make plans for how they want to see themselves being able to do in the, in the future of their own lives. So I think that's important.
0: Yes, that, that is true. But as I said, I think like for me, the main thing is I am absolutely neutral on what the people that I work with want as their end measure. Like I wanna just make sure that they go through the right amount of self-introspection and say, Yeah, this is a this is what I really want. And then, you know, I wanna work with them to help them get to what they really want for themselves.
1: Yeah. That's called the judgment free zone. Exactly. <laughs>
0: and I think, you know, you're a coach too. So you know that like as a coach, your role is not really to tell people what to do, but is to help them figure out what they wanna do because that's where really their Internal strength and drive will kick in.
1: I want to ask you this other question though, and this kind of follows up with that. What are your challenges? How do you you focus on keeping yourself in line with, with this whole idea of the success that you want for yourself? How do you keep yourself honest? What are the challenges that you face in sticking to this, right? Because I know a lot of times, even I. I get stuck with the shiny object syndrome, right? And I, you know, and and all of a sudden I see a squirrel and I'm ready to jump off and go on and do something else. If even just for a minute, what are the challenges that you have dealing with that and not staying focused and true to yourself?
0: That's a really good question. I think, you know, the challenges are there's opportunities that come your way, right? And, the challenges like the opportunities always look really enticing when you look at the potential outcomes. About two years ago, a friend of mine posted that she was helping a certain company look for a CMO. And it was, you know, a company that I really like and respect. And the idea of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe now it's time for me to be a CMO. And for me, the way that I work like a challenge like that is. I try to go back and say, okay, if this is the opportunity that I am going to pursue, what does that entail on my day-to-day life? And am I willing to do that work? Because I would say the hardest process that I went through in this 12 years is I started at Bain with the idea that I wanted to be a partner and then ended up taking a career detour. You know, I left like a big agency. I left the agency at that role. And the, one of the hardest thing was, to come to terms with the fact that while, yes, I would have loved to be you know a partner in a big consulting firm or like an EVP in a big agency, that ultimately I really wasn't willing to do everything that it took to get to that point. And that the decision to carve the type of life that I carved, the type of work that I've carved has to do with that. We come into terms that with the fact that The things that we want require daily activities, and sometimes we don't want to do them. There's a podcast where they interviewed Seinfeld and they asked him this question So, who succeeds in entertainment? And he answers, The people who want to work in entertainment. And that answer, I think, really highlights the fact that, you know, he goes on to explain, like, you know, I write. 10 hours, you know, when I was working this, I was writing a joke 30 times, you know, over. Like, I would, there's all this work that goes underneath what it really means to work in entertainment. You know, like, we see it from the outside, like, oh, I'm on TV, et cetera. But, like, what we don't see are the countless hours, the countless rejection, the countless disappointments, and the fact that the people who succeed at that career at least enjoy, like, the hard part of the creative work that it takes, have the resilience to take the nose. And over time, they end up working in entertainment or they want to work in entertainment and they don't care if they don't become scientific. You know, They're happy if they are teaching com- a comedy class and doing small comedy here and there, and, and they're happy and they derive their satisfaction out of that daily work. And for me, the biggest challenge is always when you see the shiny object, as you say, bring him back to the self reflection and say do you really want to be doing that and really think about the activities that it takes to be successful at the job like do i really want to write a five year plan in in excruciating detail you know do you want do i want to oversee the reviews of like 20 people in my department like there's, you know, the detail, those details, not the, like, do I want to be the guy who ends up on that age because my campaign has now, you know, has had this tremendous success. Not, you know, do I want to have people look at me and like, oh, look, Dino, he's a CMO of blah, blah, blah. It's a hard process of, as I said,
1: self-analysis. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. It really isn't. And I think a lot of times, like you said, it, it requires work that you have to put in to do that right and it's not it doesn't just come flippantly and uh i think people have to be mindful of that i it's really important
0: thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it make sure that you also listen to the previous episode where randy is a future guest and stay tuned for part two of my interview if you like the podcast please tell a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it and if you really like it tell all your friends and post about it on social media Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And once again, if you're listening on Good Pods or Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating or a review. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, at the end of October, I will choose my favorite review and send the author a copy of Deborah Spar's book. If you like music, stick around because at the end of the credits, I'm gonna share another song by my wife, Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. If you want to connect with Randy, you can find him on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash in backslash Randy Wilburn. And you can also listen to his podcast. I am Northwest Arkansas, which is published on all major platforms. You can find me online at al4ep.com. So al4ep.com. And you can email me at dino at al4ep.com. On Twitter and Instagram, I have the handle at al4edp. And you can find the podcast on Facebook as Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Catania, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicholas Catania, who also played keyboards and drums, with assistance from Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. Now, as promised, here's one more song by Susan. It's a song that she wrote for me on one of our wedding anniversaries. She also played it at the wedding of one of our nieces. I liked the song so much that I convinced her that she should put it on her album, The Hammer and the Heart, so that I would have a really nice recorded version of it. Enjoy. It's called Ordinary Magic.
2: stones love the river, and the earth loves the rain, I've loved you for a lifetime, but it feels just like a day. Count my blessings to be under your spell. It's just ordinary magic, you know me so. My heart takes a tumble And the earth opens wide I can't tell what's broken What's past or what's mine mm These moments of beauty